Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we kick off our preview of the year's first major, the 2023 Australian Open. Now less than one week away from its start, of course, we want to break down the year's first major from so many different angles over the course of the next week. We'll talk about all the contenders, all the dark horses. We'll look at the Americans, look at the draws when they're Revealed as well. Plenty of fun episodes for all of you listeners to enjoy. Plenty of fun guests I plan on having joining me to break it all down as well. But of course, here to kick things off, we're going to talk about our top five contenders on the women's side of the draw. Now, of course, entering this 2023 season, and we discussed this all throughout the course of December, we knew it was Iga Sviantek's world, and we were all living in it. When you win 37 consecutive matches when you win two majors throughout the course of the year. You are the unequivocal number one player in the world. And as such, we all know Iga is going to occupy a spot in the top five of anyone's list. That said, the biggest question, well, all right, you hear who's joining me right away, folks. But of course, the biggest question we have coming out of 2022 is who's number two? Who's number three, four, five? What is the pecking order at the top of the women's game? That's what makes this conversation in particular so exciting in my mind. And joining me, as you can already hear on today's show, equally excited and always a joy to have the opportunity to speak with is a returning champion here on our Crack Rackets shows. Of course, you know him best as a contributor for our website, CrackedRackets.com, for the Action Network, his all-about tennis blog. Of course, we know him best that's our dear friend, David Gertler. David, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Well, was it a happy New Year on New Year's Eve uh, when uh, we could not, when we ran the Philly special on the two-yard line and when we botched another to goal to go, when we threw two pick sixes, when Harbaugh, once again, I think we lost a six straight bowl game. Uh, it wasn't such a happy new year for me, uh, but I did. I was happy to see that at least your Lions knocked out the Packers on <laughs> Sunday night. So that's well, a little good. So you throw two daggers at me right away. And let's just do this now. Obviously, both of us, University of Michigan, attendees, it's near and dear to our hearts. I attended a wedding on New Year's Day, which started right as the Michigan TCU game was wrapping up. And Coach David Rodidia, if for some reason you listen to this podcast, don't worry. I owe him. I'm going to pay that debt at the National Indoors. The wedding ceremony was delayed, David, to watch the final drive of the Michigan game. And here's the thing. Yes, we lost. Yes, watching yesterday's game where Georgia put the smackdown on you TCU. Won? I didn't want I, I had to watch because 
George is playing a different sport than everyone else. And if you can't admire excellence, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and that should have been us in that game. Because the fact that we threw two pick sixes, the fact that we fumbled on the goal line, even though Roman Wilson was in. And I'm not complaining about the rest, because if you throw two pick sixes, you fumble on the goal line subsequently. You do whatever we did on that first drive, going for the dagger, missing out on it completely. You deserve to lose that game. But we still almost won it. And boy, when it devolved into Big 12 football, David, and it was just Ronnie Bell, deep. Cornelius, deep. Uh, Loveland, over the center. Like just 15-yard pickup after 30-yard pickup. Flea flicker for a touchdown. What made that game so particularly devastating is that we lingered for so long. Freaking Moody made, what, a 58-yarder or whatever it freaking was? And you're like, oh, my God, like – Okay, if he made that, we have to at least make it competitive. And that was what was such a dagger in the heart, is that it remained competitive for so long, and then we end on a freaking botched snap, which is just devastating. Here's the thing, though. You say the bowl game consecutive losses. Who cares? We've competed in the playoffs for two consecutive years. We've won the Big Ten and beaten Ohio State for two consecutive years. That is what the promise of Jim Harbaugh was. And yes, there's another step to go if you want to be Alabama or Georgia, but... There's only four programs who are on the list that we are on right now of these consecutive playoff appearances, right? It's Georgia, it's Bama, well, it's Ohio State, and I think it's us. And like, you want to know what the name huge. of my fantasy football team is? Mine's the People's teams? Jones. What's yours? No, it's if you're not first, you're last. So, oh, there he is. Oh, I miss so you too. For me, I feel like Harbaugh has come up short in big moments way too often. We're first in the Big Ten. We're first over Ohio State the last two years. Those are victories, David. They are. But you know, if you can't be, well, this was a like a layup to get a mon- okay. to get the monkey the playoff but- game. But let me ask you this, and again, this is why I love having you because we disagree about things like this. Not the first touchdown, but when Donovan Edwards broke the second touchdown run against Ohio State, have you ever experienced joy like that as a sports fan? Uh, yes, last year when we beat Ohio State for the first time. Uh, okay, okay and then- but, but here's the thing is like they still got the ball back and like, yeah, when Haskins scored for whatever the fourth or fifth time, we were up, but... Edwards on the road, punctuating it with a second 80-yard run was just like, oh, my God, we're going to kill them. Like, we didn't just beat them. We killed them on the road. First time since 2000. And against a weak opponent in the playoff semifinals, we choked. And Harbaugh choked again. (laughs) I mean, but here's the thing. First-year starter lost his first game through two pick sixes. It was the worst game J.J. played all year, but it was the only bad game he played. Next year, important. we bring back a better team. God willing, we bring back Harbaugh for one more year. And I think we will get him for Are one you, more. You're not I, tired of the games with him? The, we uh, made the playoff. You know what's better than November football? December football. And we have played meaningful games into December the last two years. And, like, that's that's what it's all about, David. You said if you're not first, Wait. you're last. But guess what? You can't lose the season, uh, win the season the first week of the year, but you can lose it. And we didn't lose the season till the second to last week of the year. You know and like to be than, playing relevant football for so long is the best. You know what's better than December football? January football. January football. Okay, yes. and then you throw a dagger at me with the Lions, who of course finished nine and eight, but don't get into the playoffs, which is just. But I told my friends. No more the, football in my life anymore. I told my, well, you can root on my Giants, but uh, <laughs> I I was telling my friends, I said, the future of the Lions is looking up. 
And I expect that the NFC North this year, next year will be like the NFC East this year with three playoff teams, the Vikings, the Packers, and the Lions. Jamison Williams is so fast. It's unbelievable. Amon Ross St. Brown is always open. Our offensive line just gives Jared Goff all the time in the world to find all of these receivers. It was a great year. It was when we beat the Bears in the fashion that we did. It was the first time the Lions felt like Alabama football, which has never happened in my life. And that was truly a joy. But you know what will replace football for me, David, is the start of the 2023 tennis year, whether it be college tennis, whether it be, of course, the Australian Open, which, as I alluded to, starts in less than a week. And on today's show, what David and I want to do is name our top five women's contenders for this year's event, of course. Again, we'll go back and forth, whether it's five through one. You want to go strict order five through one here on today's show, or do you have them not in a range? I would say yes, because my number one is going to not necessarily be who you think it is. Okay, because my number five, I think, is going to surprise you as well. So let's start at the top of the list. And you say you have a shocker. So let's get right into it. And we should point out we're recording this Tuesday, January 10th. The draws are not out yet. We'll have updated lists, I suppose, when those draws do come out. With that in mind, David, lay it on me. Your shocker. Number one on your list is whom? It's number one or number five? No, start with number one because my five is confusing and I need to work my – I'm more certain about the top than I am as I – I actually think why I want to go one to five. So I think this is an important thing to say. I'm glad you have me on this tangent, David. It's good to have you back. First show of the year. We're back. Um (laughs) <laughs> even when you're picking fights with the tennis podcast and then they drag cracked rackets into it. That's when I love you most. Um, and I felt bad about that, but no, I'm not, no. not going to let you know what the tennis, you know, my thoughts on the Yeah, tennis. we can leave that there. We can leave. Like, you yeah. know what? Face the music. Let me just say this, David. Sometimes a good blocking is worthwhile. We can leave that there, but you know what I mean. Um, with that in mind, why I think five is more interesting than one on this list is because everyone knows who's number one on my list, and I think even despite the loss to Jessica Pagula, Iga Sviantek has earned that benefit of the doubt. Certainly coming out of 2022, double the points of the next closest player, two major titles, 37 consecutive wins. She wins the U.S. Open not even playing her best. Um, That is, in my mind, especially given the parity, the uncertainty we've seen on the WTA Tour over the course of the past three and a half, four and a half years, that is what, you know, It that is the logical pick, which is why I want to start at one, because you say you don't have her. And so I would love to hear who it is and what your argument is. My argument is I'm looking, we can talk about last season all we want. I'm looking at this season. And from what I saw from Arena Sabalenka in Adelaide against Tough competition. Uh, I I thought that was the some of the I saw her match against uh, Vondrusova in her second match of the week. That was some of the best tennis I've ever seen Arena Sabalenka play. I'll go through who she played. She she beat big server, huge forehand Ludmilla Samsonova in the in her first match. Uh, she was five one down in the first set and took it to another level. She then beat Vondrusova in the second in their second match in straight sets. She didn't lose a set all tournament. Um, and she completely overwhelmed Vondrusova. And if I'm mispronouncing some of these players, you can stop me. Let me know. Um, I, I know it's Caroline Garcia, uh, not Caroline, Caroline. Uh, but anyways, um, 
Vandrusova, as you know, absorbs power really well. She can dictate with her forehand, with her lefty forehand. She's fast around the court. She anticipates well. And Sabalenka just absolutely annihilated her in the baseline exchanges. She only hit uh, in that match two double or four double faults too, which is not great. But compared to twenty twenty two standards, I have to remember in twenty twenty three, that's pretty damn good. Next round, she easily took care of Begu, and then uh, she beat Naskova in straight sets in the final, who, despite losing an Australian Open qualifying and a shocker, Sebab should never have beaten her, but that's another story. Um, and the Well, it's an also another story why she's even in qualifying at all at number 56 in the world, and maybe we need a little bit of a rule change there, but... That's for another podcast. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is Sabalenka has ripped through the field. She's serving better than she did in 2022, and her baseline game was outstanding. Not only that, she is the type of player that if she were to play Iga in the, let's say, semifinals or the finals of the Australian Open, um, I guess what her ranking is number five. So I, that could even be the quarterfinals. If I'm if I'm getting my math right in my head, um, again, stop me if I'm wrong. Um, she has the game as we saw at the WTA fi- finals uh, last year, meaning November, to beat Sviatek. Sviatek does not like playing power players off of clay, and I think that she has the game to beat her. I think she's in the form to beat her, and. She is based on 2023 form and what we know of both players, my number one pick. So long ended, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, first apology of the year. It took only 13 minutes to get there. So we were going to get there eventually, David. I knew that. A um, couple of things. I want to poke fun at you first. The fact that you have Sabalenka number one on your list is just the prototypical week one overreaction, and it's very difficult to do considering, to your point, that Adelaide draw, as strong of a draw as you'll see at any 250 event this season, certainly helps that it's the first week of the year, but you know, this week there are 22 of the top 33 players in the WTA Live rankings playing in Adelaide, and last week was very similar. Sabalenka was head and shoulders above the rest of the field last week, and that's why I don't think it's an overreaction to have her near the top of your list. I have her at number two, and I said this in the month of December. I said this throughout the course of last season. Outside of the issues on the second serve, where, of course, she double faulted, uh, uh, I believe it's 10.4% of the time last season. One out of every 10 points she played on serve was a double fault. She had 407 double faults. No other player was over 300, let alone 400 for the year. She was down 3% last week. She only double faulted 7.4% of the time. She was around five, six double faults per match, but she was also firing around nine, 10 aces per match as well. And another thing I harped on throughout the course of last year, and I think manifested itself very much throughout the course of this first week, she has gotten better at everything else in her game outside of that second serve. When she lands the first serve, her plus one backhand down the line It's untouchable. And if she has time to set her feet on the forehand, A, you have no idea where she's going. B, yes, she might hit the back fence, but if she lands it inside out, if she lands it inside in, she's either hitting an easy approach shot, hitting an easy volley, or she's won the point with that first forehand. 
She has those non-negotiable weapons, the Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club weapons. She's always possessed that. And, you know, it's fascinating because you look for Arena Sabalenka, who you mentioned, beats Eagle last year, makes the finals of the World Tour Finals. She's been a top 10 player pretty consistently for the last three years. And, you know, I was on the Ostrava Linz Abu Dhabi press tour during those times when you were able to Zoom press conference. So we got to spend a lot of time chatting with Sabalenka. David, she has played in 10 of the 11 slams since the start of the 2020 season. Obviously wasn't allowed to play at Wimbledon this past year. She's played 38 total matches, which, by the way, in 10 slams, she's played 38 total matches. That means, on average, she's getting to the fourth round. What is her record in those 38 matches? Oh, God. Um, how many, How many? if she has 38 matches, how many tournaments? I'm not telling you because that will give away the answer. Very uh, smart by you. I will say 38. 30, is she 30 and 8? 28 and 10. So she's played okay. 10 total events. She's 28 and 10. She's made, the quarterfinals, it, she's made the quarterfinals in three of the 10, made the second week in five of the 10. She's actually 3-0 and in the quarterfinals, 0-3 in semifinals, all three matches going three sets, Pliskova, Layla, Iga. She has been and obviously makes the World Tour finals uh, last year, finals of that event last year as well. She's played the big guns. She's played all the big events. She's played on the biggest stages. She's faced that pressure. And, you know, again, since the start of the 2020 season, you look for Arena Sabalenka. She's 22-20 and 20 against top 20 opponents. In this era when we're uncertain who the top 10 players are, the unequivocal top-end talents, but we know there's just a plethora of top 20 players, she has been one of the better of those wave of top 20 players. Against the top 10, she's even 10-14. and 14. That's a pretty good record considering it's a 24-match sample size. You know, again, last week, the serve was overwhelming. She goes unbroken in her semifinal match against Begu, final match against Naskova. You know, there were times against Von Drusova when she raced out to the 6-3-4-1 lead where she was literally, because Von Drusova hits a heavy topspin lefty ball, and being tall, having played tennis, I don't mean to equate this, my game to Sabalenka. How tall are you? 6'2". Um, oh, I didn't realize you were that tall. I hear that every time. Um, it's the voice. It's because I don't have the baritone. Um, anyways, my two brothers are lefties, and they both hit topspin balls, which is why I like my backhand wing so much more is because I'm tall, their ball just sits right up in my strike zone, and there are times when you just get to hit down on it, and you're just like, thank you for your topspin. I will now use this and drive the ball to make sure I'm, it stays in. Um, that's what Sabalenka did to the – to the highest extent against Von Drusova in those first hour 15 minutes of the match where she was just taking the heavy topspin saying, thank you. Now I get to hit a free line drive and whether it was backhand down the line, forehand down the line, all the weapons on display, her best tennis looked untouchable throughout her run where she didn't drop a set. You're absolutely right in Adelaide. And again, She's made three semifinals in the last 10. She's made five second weeks. She's been pretty consistent at the slams of late. She will certainly be a top 10 seed, maybe even a top four to your point. She's confident now. I think she gets better as a mover every season as well, and she's always had a really good first step. I mean, again, I made fun of you because you have her number one when I don't know how you don't have Iga, and we'll get there in a second. But I think number two is fair, and like – 
you look for her, the career head-to-heads are fascinating because, you know, the career head-to-head against Iga, uh, obviously she trails coming out of last season where she went one in four, two in four overall, though. However. Three of their six matches have been three sets. That's what I was going to say. And, like, during that U.S. Open match, Sabalenka was clearly the better player in the first set. Here's the pushback, David. And this is, I guess, how we can get to Iga. Iga turned it on in a way in set number two of the U.S. Open semifinals. That was the best set of tennis she played in the entire tournament. I think that's the only set of tennis she played where she actually played her best. And that's a testament to Iga's ability to rise to the occasion. And again, inject a level of physicality, inject a level of not only can she play first strike, she can you know extend points as well. Iga's 4-2 and two against Sabalenka. Iga's one. How many two, on clay, though? That's a big caveat. Two of two of her wins have come on clay. Iga is two and two against Sabalenka on hard courts. Two and one in outdoor hard courts. With a very close U.S. Open semifinal. Yeah, and no, which is why Sabalenka's two. Yeah. Like I agree, because Sabalenka's best can be there. Sabalenka thoroughly outplayed Iga in set number one. Iga beat her the rest of the way. And then in crunch time, Iga had more things she could do than the overwhelming power of Sabalenka, which, as we know, Sabalenka can play 20 of the best minutes of tennis you'll see all season long, followed by eight of the worst in a 28-minute span. And the best part about Adelaide, and this could be the last thing we do on Sabalenka, but the best part about Adelaide, in my opinion, David, and I'll give the final word to you, is that there was only one moment where she blinked. 6-3-4-1 up against Von Drusova. Yeah. Obviously, that second set ends up 7-5. She fell asleep at the wheel. But the first hour, 15 minutes, were so encouraging. And the rest of her matches, again, all straight victories against all solid opponents, the way as powerful as Noskova was, it's clear Sabalenka was on a different tier even than her. Like, she's playing her best. She's confident. She's had slam success. Of all the envi- – like envisioning someone beating Iga, I think Sabalenka is the only one I can do it for. Carry on. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to say, well, I can envision – I mean, after, you know, Pagula just annihilated her, I you know, I can envision that. And I may – and I can even envision Garcia beating her. I, again, I I really think that Sviatek at times can struggle on hard courts um, against power players. Not that Pagula was a power is a power player, but she played like one against Viatek. What I was going to say though, my last point about Sabalenka specifically is that she also has, is pretty damn good at the net too. Uh, two doubles titles, uh, majors uh, in her career. She was number one in the world in doubles. Uh, she can good volley, great behind, swinging volley. Yeah, she can move forward behind her grand strokes too. And again, that's just what's going to take. Sviatek out of her comfort zone is when she's on the back foot on a quicker court. Yeah. I mean, look, I get it. Sabalenka outside the top 25 in hold percentage last year because of how frequently she double faulted and the second serve was like 48th amongst top 50 players. But still on the precipice of ranking top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And last year, there were only, or over the last 52 weeks, only nine players ranked top 25 in both hold and break percentage. David only one ranks top 10. She also ranks top five in both hold and break percentage. And that's Iga Sviantek, who's number one on my list. I want to know where she is on yours, but let me just make the case for her real quick and remind everyone what Iga has accomplished over the course of the past 52 weeks. 67 and nine overall. 
88% win percentage, David. Of course, that featured a 37-match win streak. She won two majors last season, had double the points of anyone else made. 11 quarterfinals, went 10-1 and overall in those quarters, including uh, on runs to the title in Roland Garros, at the U.S. Open, Indian Wells, Miami, Stuttgart, Rome, San Diego, Doha. She won eight titles last season. You look at her record against top 20 opponents, Iga, a remarkable 22-2 and two with her losses coming in the last couple of events. Sabalenka, three sets, fast indoor court in Fort Worth. Pagula, United Cup, fast outdoor court in Sydney. She's 15-2 and two against the top 10. It's the same two losses. I mean, you look at what she was able to do last year at the Australian Open. She reaches the semifinals before getting knocked out by Danielle Collins. But but, but again, has she struggled ma- against Kanepi. Sure, but has made the semifinals at this event before. So you can't say she's never done anything at the Australian Open is what That's I'm trying real. to say. And Fair. you want to hear a fun stat? And I suppose this pertains to the contender. Shout out to your dear friend, Ben Rothenberg, fellow Michigan yeah. alum, uh, for offering mm-hmm. this factoid up to me there are only two prior australian open champions in the women's singles draw this year can you name them uh, oh man uh, let, uh i think one of them's obvious well now i'm gonna be overthinking it uh 2020 you know as azarenka is one okay if that's um, the obvious one to you 2020 2020 oh <laughs> I see. I forget even about the Australian Open 2020 because it's like it's so overshadowed. So you, I saw that uh, John gave you a shout out about her on Twitter. Sophia Kennan, who is back at a pretty damn good level. She played great against golf in Auckland. And we can talk about that match maybe a different time. But I, I thought she played really well in Auckland despite losing that match four and four. But that's the thing. There are only two prior slam champions. One of them's Kennan, who's coming off of a disastrous 2022. Vika looks really good, and I think maybe we can talk about her on the back end of this list or in honorable mention. Certainly, you feel like she could get a shout-out in the Dark Horse con- uh, conversation. But how can you argue anyone has shown more than Iga Svantec over the past year at majors, at big events? You look for her when matches have gone to a deciding set. Over the course of the past year, Iga Svantec in those matches, 15-5 and five overall. So even if you get her to a third, she's going to beat you three-quarters of the time. Again, my favorite statistic, the fact that you look for Iga over the course of the last 52 weeks. She's breaking serve 51% of the time, David. And I had this conversation with some people at the Tennis Channel offices when we were just kicking things around before we started. And I brought up the idea of, yeah, don't worry, like, because who is she playing? Someone held against her. I think it was honestly no, it wasn't Pagula. It was Trevisan in that match, and Trevisan held. Way too many games too. Well, Trevisan played unreal at United Cup, but that's a story for another time. But Trevisan held, and I was like, "Well, don't worry. The numbers say it's a guaranteed break in the next time because Iga breaks you fifty-one percent of the time." And like they just started laughing, and they were like, "Oh my god." That is because they understand the math of that. It's like that is a nightmare. Like imagine you hold and you're like, thank God I held because now I might get broken twice in a row. And it's just like, again, I think the Pagula match was an aberration. I think Pagula comfortable with the surface. It was a quick transition for Team Poland. Not that I'm making excuses, but you're going to have a day off with plenty of warm up for Iga in terms of opponents before she would get to an opponent of Pagula's caliber. I would also say – 
Iga played pretty well in her win over Benchich. I think she played Putinseva as well and beat her pretty comfortably. Putinseva like, does not have the game, though. Yeah, but that's the first week of Australia. And then you start to play the Benchiches of the world. And then you start to play the Pagulas of the world. And my bet is on Iga finding her form, getting accustomed to the surface, benefiting from the fact that it's a day off in the same location. And the fact that of the field... Again, you you just feel more confident about her than anyone else. She has earned the right to be the unequivocal number one entering this major. Where is she on your list? She's number two. Now, <laughs> I don't want to say, but based on 20, if I was just looking at 2022, or, you know, even, you know, if I even included the beginning of 2023, I would have her at number, I would have her at number one if I was just looking at stats. Uh, but I am looking at who do I think is going to win the Australian Open without having seen the draw. And who do I think is who do I think is on the upswing? Sabalenka and who do I think is starting to fall off a little bit? Here's the deal about 2022. I'm not going to take anything away from Iga Swiatek. She went in 2022, she went um 67 and 9. I can't take that away from her. I, you know, she was 47 and 7 on hard courts, which I think you just said. Um, and on clay, even better, 18 and 1. I can't take that away from her. But what I can say is I think at least part of that is due to lack of when Barty retired, due to lack of suitable contenders to play her. But people that players that as we've talked about extensively in a prior contest, maybe 10 years ago, there would have been more people fighting at the top. Um, remember, we went through the whole 2012 uh, top 10s. I'm starting, when I saw Sabalenka in uh, Adelaide, I said, this is more what I'm expecting towards the top of the women's game. Um, and I think that, again, she has the game style to beat her. I think that, she, you talk about it as she's breaking 51% of the time. You know how many times she broke Pagula in that match? Once. Um, and Pagula won 83% of her first serve points. Uh, Spiatek only won 37% of her service points and was broken five times. Sure, it's an aberration, but we didn't see many of those aberrations in 2022. So the fact that we're seeing it straight out of the gates in 2023, not to mention she broke down in tears. Nothing wrong with that, but just maybe shows that mentally she's – maybe starting to feel the pressure a little bit. I disagree uh, for a couple of reasons. One, as a noted crier, as I talked about on the mini break when talking about this, it just shows how much she cared about that team Poland win and letting down her teammates. I think it had nothing to do with the pressure and more just disappointment in the moment. But I think you're being short-sighted. Iga last year, yes, things got a little slower, a little tougher for her at the end of the season. She, She played 78 total matches. That was the most matches of any top 50 player on the WTA Tour. You combine that with the fact that she also won 69 total matches, had an 89% win percentage better than any other player inside the top 50. So not only did she win more matches than anyone else at a higher win rate than anyone else, but she played more matches than anyone else. Like, that player's number one. 21 years old, third, uh, seventh fastest to three majors in WTA Tour history, semifinalist here last year. I think she has the first week to play her way into form. And yes, Pagula played perfectly. But that, to me, is the argument of why she's number one over Sabalenka, over anyone else we're going to talk about here today. Because you feel like you still have to play perfect to beat Iga Svantec. And I can't guarantee yet that I'm going to see that out of anyone else, even as good as Arena was. Is she going to be able to do that for seven consecutive matches, David? I need to see it to believe it. 
So you feel that uh, Sabalenka played perfect at the WTA Finals? Because I didn't see that. I thought she played a. I thought the conditions were favorable to her, and she played a very good match in that semifinal. Yes. So you don't think? Because I mean, based on what I'm seeing in Australian Open qualifying, the conditions are playing quick. It's tough to say. I need to see week one to reevaluate. You also need to see the draw. I still yeah. trust Iga's floor is still higher to me than Sabalenka's. I even if the agree. ceilings have gotten closer. I I agree, and I think that even like Caroline Garcia ceiling has gotten closer um not that but i'm not willing to say that uh I, i've i've not seen the evidence to make me believe that garcia See, will be i don't know if i agree because i think pagula just played so well in that united cup match i'm talking about that, garcia yeah no, no i know but i'm saying i think pagula played so well in that in that united cup match that it clouds what you're forgetting Iga was at times during that 37 match win streak where it just but I'm like, saying that I don't think she will be that same version of herself in 2023 it's a tough bet to make but with that in mind then we have the same top two even in different orders this is where things get interesting three on your list David Gertler who you oh, got man I thought long and hard about who do I want at number three Cause yeah because I cheated three- I agree this is the toughest spot on the list because for me, number three and number four are, I don't want, they're not a, a interchangeable, but they're, um, but I think they're close. And I think that the reason I have this woman at number three is because I see a higher ceiling for her and a better chance to win the event. Um, so my number three with that long intro is, do you want to guess or do you want me to just say? No, give it to me. Okay. Uh, it's Carol Caroline Garcia. Um, what were you going to say? No, I figured you were leaning that way <laughs> as your number three. Now, I don't have her on my list yet. You have her on your list. But let the record show as of right now, and this is why I wanted to start at the top of my list. I said my number five spot is to be named at the end of the week. And the reason I say that is because, yes, Caroline Garcia played a little bit in United Cup, got wins over Podoroska, over Martich in straight sets. I need to see her this week in Adelaide. And her playing Adelaide, too, is the difference for me between her being five on this list six, seven on this list and being number three on this list, which I fully agree with you. You are projecting that you she was good enough during United Cup. That'll sustain this week and through week one. She'll find her form going into week two. That, exactly. I think it's a really good bet. Like I, again, I was leaning that way, Caroleaning, for that fifth spot. <laughs> but I ultimately have her at number, or I mean, again, I don't have her on my list. She's my first honorable mention. She's in the lead for number five for me. But I want to see her compete in Adelaide this week. And I guess for me, how, why are you ready already to have her at number three? Just, I mean, partially, I know I was just saying, so this is a little contradictory, but I am bringing it up. The WTA finals, that's 2022. I was so impressed with how her ball striking. She did lose to Spiatek. Um, she didn't play a good match there. I watched it. Uh, she could have played so much better than that. But, um, you know, the serve in the forehand you're not going to see power like that from almost anyone else. And yes, you can say, oh, she was only 25 and 14 on hard courts in um, 2022 and 46 and 20 overall, um, which is great. But um, you have to remember, it was really the second half of 2022 when she exploded and she, where she won uh, Bad Hamburg on grass and Warsaw on clay and then won 
Cincinnati, uh, premier mandatory event, and then won the WTA finals, got to the U.S. Open semifinals, where she played maybe one of the worst matches of her career against Jabor. Um, that was a disaster. But and credit to Sviatek for not having matches like that uh, throughout the 2022 season. I'll give you that there. Her, Like you were saying earlier, her floor is higher than a floor like uh, Garcia's, whose floor is considerably lower. Um I think that, like you said, Garcia has not had a lot of 2023 match play, but she did beat Podoroska, only lost two games there, and then beat uh, Petra Martic, who was a little tricky with the backhand slice, uh, with her backhand slice um, in straight sets, although a very tight first set. She won at 11-9 in the first set tiebreak. But um, no, I'm, I just really think that Garcia has a high, high ceiling. She has a huge serve that can get her out of tight spots. Most women's players do not have that type of uh, way to erase break points or, and that big 30 all point or deuce point to get that free point. And I, I love her net play. We were talking about how Sabalenka uh, has, you know, a couple uh, doubles title or made doubles majors. Well, so does Caroline Garcia. She has, um, two doubles majors herself at the French open last year. And in 2016, and she's been as high as uh, number two in the world in doubles. And I really like how she finishes off points of the net. And I just really have been so impressed with her. And I really don't think you, you might've mentioned earlier, maybe I misheard you that maybe the women's field's a little wide open. I really only see six players that can win the title. Um, and she's one of the six. It's fascinating. I mean, you look for Garcia, you mentioned it. She was the number one server by hold percentage on the WTA Tour last season, according to Tennis Abstract. She held serve 81.1% of the time. That's 10% better, 104 to be exact, than the average top 50 player. And when you're over that 80% threshold, that's the elite of the elite. That's prime Serena. That's prime Osaka. That's prime Kvitova. Those players who serve, there are others, I'm sure, take them over the edge compared to everyone else. And I mean, look, Caroline Garcia, since the start of Bad Hamburg, which she won the title in prior to Wimbledon last year, she's 38-9 overall, 39-9, uh, excuse me, since the start of Bad Hamburg, 81% win percentage. You do that over one month. That's impressive. She's done it over sixth, over 48 matches, and she's 8-2 against top 10 opponents during that stretch of time. Now, oh, yeah. has beaten Iga, Sabalenka twice, Sakari, Goff, Kasakina, Pagula. That first serve, being the number one server, again, it's a non-negotiable. Her ability to set up her first strike, that first forehand, you mentioned it. She's an outstanding doubles player as such, an outstanding volleyer who not only knows where to go and what to do, which is half the battle, but great depth on her first volley as well again and she knows she, when to approach the net too which is yeah so and it, and she's had slam success she was at the semifinals of the last major that we saw ask jennifer yeah. brady how slam success translates from slam to slam or you know we've seen this sort of run before where that confidence can be the differentiating thing when all else is equal now she ranked 49th amongst top 50 players in break percentage last year she's very aggressive she on that return of serve I, I, I agree there because she like sometimes it's just like take a step back and roll it in. Don't yeah, you have to. But the serve affords her those chances. And yeah, here's the thing. The aggressive mindset, it prevails throughout everything that she does. And that's ultimately a winning mindset. She tries to play on her terms. And we saw when she got shaky against Jabur, 
it's she started misfiring and she didn't really know what to turn to. Again, that's why she would be five on my list, a little bit lower than some of the other players. But still, that that top gear is undeniable. I mean, again, I reserve the right to see how she plays this week in Adelaide because I need to see slightly tougher tests than what we saw in week one of uh, United Cup. But I get why she's third. And, I mean, she's going to be a top four seed, right? Like, it's going to be fascinating which side of the draw she's on. I wonder who she'd rather play, Ego, where she's the underdog, or someone like Sabalenka where maybe she's the favorite. I think she'd probably rather play Ika. I mean, or no, sorry, Sabalenka. I still got to give respect to, I got to yeah. give some respect to Ika. And I, again, like I said earlier, I think that at least, you know, I'm the worst with court speed. I am literally, it's usually the opposite of what I think is, but to me, the conditions in Melbourne, from what I've seen in qualifying, it's the outside courts. They're playing fast. Um, and that suits Garcia's game. Yeah, I think. I- All right. Again, I want to watch her play in Adelaide, but I think that's a good inclusion on the list. Number three for you currently. I'll put her in the number five spot, which I said to be named later, but that works for me. By the way, for what it's worth, VR, dear friends at DraftKings, as of right now, Iga Sviantek, plus 200 to win the Australian Open. What was she to win the U.S. Open? Hold on. I got a text Rothman right now. Iga's plus 200 to win the U.S. Open. That's crazy. That is too low. That is way too low. I agree. She should be at at like worst plus 150. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to reveal too much because I have an article once the draws are out and I get to really look through them about the outrights. But I will say plus 200 certainly – is a little ridiculous at first glance. Now, she might have a really tough draw, but without seeing the draw, I think plus 200s. 37 in a row, 15 and 2 against the top 10. Plus 200s yeah. an insult. Sabalenka, for what it's worth, is second at plus 800. Bet them both. Like, who if it, who's it going to be if not those two? Bet them both. And then, you know, again, you say Caroline Garcia, she's fourth at plus 1200. Half a unit on Sabalenka, half a unit on Garcia, full unit on Sviantec. You cover yourself no matter what. Well, that's if the three others who I think have the chance to win. You can put a quarter of a unit on Sabalenka, on Garcia, and your two others, and then a full unit on Sviantec. You can pick your five favorites with these Sviantec odds. That's the insulting part, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think, yeah, that's insulting to Sviantec. That's insulting to Sabalenka without having seen the draw, too. No, plus 800's right, because what if she throws in the— She was down 5-1 to Samsonova in that first set. Like, let's not forget. Then she hit it on a level that— no, you're right, but I'm just saying, like, what happens? She's also she has a knack. Remember Kanepi at the U.S. Open? I know, line? but the altern- the other side of that, she was down six two five one to anyone. Like at yeah. some point, that comes back to bite you. Yeah, you're right. No, I hundred, I agree there. Yeah. You know, Anyways, it's a lot of it depends on who who who's in the draw. When you go over the dark horses, it's like where the dark horses. So I. Without having seen the draw, I do agree that uh, Sviatek plus two hundred is insulting to her. Yeah. So, all right. With that in mind, I'll put Garcia five on my list because that feels about right. She's three for you. She's fourth according to odds makers, plus 1,200. Who's number four on your list, David? Well, who's your number three? Did you say? No, but I like going in your order because that got to my number five. So we're both three in. Okay. Um, My number four, this is going to be pretty – do you want to guess? Rabakina. No. Rabakina is not even in my top – Six. Uh, Honorable mention for me, but carry on. But I, I, that's actually, I could, 
Maybe there's seven people that can win. Okay. Anyway, um, it's Jessica Pagula. Um, okay. Do you agree there? Or are we going to have disagreements with this one too? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. No, so this is a perfect introduction into who's number three on my list, and I alluded to this. You, I alluded this to this to you earlier. That's how you speak English, David. Um, I referenced this earlier in my number three category. Rather than putting each of them or delineating between each of them, I just put the Americans plural in my number three spot okay. because I'm not sure if it's going to be Pagula. I'm not sure if it's going to be Goff. I'm not sure it's going to be Keys, who, let's be clear, once again is off to a rollicking start. And I know it wasn't a tough schedule for her in terms of the number two singles matches she had to play. But five matches under her belt. She wins all five again. Looked like the third best player in the world in Australia last year. Serve, forehand, backhand, flying through the court. She looks really fit right now, moving fluidly by her standards in and out of the corners. Like, again, Goff wins a title in Auckland. Pagula beats Iga 2-2. Keys goes undefeated, beating opponents who she should beat, which sometimes is a difficult thing for her. Collins destroys Pliskova and looks pretty good in week one in Adelaide, despite the tough draw. And then Anisimova beat Benchich in Osaka in Australia last year. And I know she had to get in as a lucky loser, but she wins her first-round match in Adelaide, too. And I'm not completely willing to write her off yet. I think one of the Americans makes the semifinals or further. I'm not sure if it's Pagula. I'm not sure if it's Goff. I'm not sure if it's Keys, Collins, or Anisimova. But I think we have five serious bites at the apple, David. And I'm curious. I know I'll talk about the Americans in a specific podcast later. I know I'm cheating by doing this. But is my sentiment fair? I think it's fair to the extent – are we talking to win the event or to go deep? No, I think one of those – it would not shock me if at the end one of those five players is in the semifinals. And in this era of the WTA Tour, if you are in the semifinals, you just have a shot. Like Marketa Vondrusova is a slam finalist. Rybakina is a a slam champion. Krachikova comes out of nowhere to win a slam. Like Kennan does it too. You just have a shot. The hardest part is getting there. For this slam, I think there's only two. And I think it's – Pagula, and then my number five. Who's Coco Goff? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and so, I didn't want to do it, but I had to. I had so to then let's start I'm with jacking. Pagula quickly, because I mentioned that Sabalenka record earlier for her in slams. Jessica Pagula, eight total losses. Uh, wait, I want to make sure I get this correct. Excuse me. She also has played since August 2020. She's played all 10 slams that have been available. So 10 total losses. How many wins do you think she has? Okay. How many slams are we talking here? 10 total. She's got 10, 10 losses. Slams, How many wins? 10 does losses. She have? I'm going to guess she has 40. Is my math wrong? 40 wins? 40 so you're wins? saying in the last 10 slams, she's averaged a quarterfinal appearance? No, uh, 35. 
25 is the answer, 25. which means she's getting to the third round in just yeah. about all of them. And you look of late, obviously, quarterfinals last year at the U.S. Open, Roland Garros, Australian Open, where she lost to the eventual champion in each of them. She also made a quarters in Australia back in 2021. I mean, even the losses at the slams for her, I mentioned there are 10 of them. She's lost to Iga uh, twice. Iga won the slams in both of those occasions. She lost to Barty last year in Australia. The other loss is Kennan uh, at Roland Garros. Brady, the year Brady made the Australian Open final. Savalenka, Kvitova, Bencic, Samsonova in three sets. The only tough one was Petra Martic last year at Wimbledon, a match she should have won. But, I mean, again, Martic tricky on grass, certainly. 25 and 10 is a really good record. And for Pagula to lose to a Petra Kvitova, who we may just be talking about later on, on the, in this show, and bounce back the way she did at United Cup to, you know, again, for Pagula, I think most impressively to get the win over Iga 2-2 two and two and just look yeah. untouchable behind the first serve. And I mentioned this on the mini break. I'll posit this theory to you since we talked so much football at the start. You know how... Some teams have specific drills tailored to prepare for their rivals throughout the course of a season. Yes. You just feel like in December, Pagula and her team came together and said, look, we're going to practice a lot of things. We're going to do a lot of fitness. But 15 minutes a day, we're going to do this drill, and we're going to call it the Ega drill. And during this 15 minutes, you are just going to swing as hard as you can at every ball on the court because you're not going to beat Ega if you're patient. You're not going to beat Ega if you try to out-physical her. You need to beat Ega taking swings, taking your chances, and to see her take the chances she did against Ega in that 2-2 two and two victory. Every backhand up-the-line opportunity she capitalized on. Obviously, again, she makes all sorts of quarterfinals throughout the course of last Last year. Now, she's 11 and 18 overall against top 10 opponents since August 2020. Last year, she goes 3 and 12 against the top 10. She goes 7 and 13 against the top 20. It's because she doesn't have those big. She didn't last year have that big weapon. She tried to outlast him. So like you're he, you're confident enough from United Cup that she has that big weapon now. Um. She, like I said, she's number four in the three people. Sure. The three players above her all have the big weapons. And honestly, I said there's six players, maybe seven if we include Rubakina. I I would be surprised if one of my top three did not win it. Much well, for, Yeah. I just – because I do think you need that big weapon. But if – I don't trust Rubakina's consistency. I don't trust Jabor to, in a big match. Definitely not after that U.S. Open final, which was a very winnable match that she that she uh, bot- bottled. Um, but um, I just don't trust anyone. Like, who, who else am I going to put there? You know? No, I, I, it's fair. Look to your point, Jessica Pagula, one of five players to rank top twenty in both hold and break percentage last season. She was not top ten in either category. Now she was again top twenty in both, but she was not top ten as a, as a server, not top tw- uh, ten as a. Uh, a returner and that's indicative to she's really good it's a really well-rounded game again you look for Pagula from a record standpoint since August 2020 Jessica Pagula uh excuse me 
46 and 12 against opponents ranked outside the top 50, 75 and 18 against opponents ranked outside the top 20. She went 35 and 8 mm-hmm. last year against opponents ranked outside the top 20 overall. She beats who she's supposed to beat. And in this era of parody, doing that is half the battle. And Jessica Magula has certainly proven that she can do exactly that. Now, again, a hot serving performance from a Garcia, from a uh, from a Sabalenka, maybe even from one of those younger power players like a Rabakina, like an inform Anisimova or, you know, again, some of the countless other power playing options you can choose from. Maybe they knock her off. But Jessica Pagula is going to put herself in a position to be in the mix in the second week. To me, she's always the definition of a tier two contender where you know she's going to beat yeah. who she's supposed to beat. Again, I think she has to be on this list. She probably is the favorite of the Americans, but I said this on the mini break, so I'll say it to your face. Nothing made me happier from week number one, David Gertler, than to see Coco Goff win that title and to just immediately uh, put I mean, a sock the, in uh, your Challenger mouth. Challenger title uh, that's uh, masquerading as a uh, WTA event. Okay, but you ready for these numbers? Are you ready for her opponents? <laughs> okay, but I'm giving you some numbers that I think that will make a case for me that I'm trying to make. You look for Coco Goff since the start of last season, 43 and 23 overall. Against opponents ranked outside the top 50, she's 27 and 2. Against opponents ranked outside the top 20, she's 38 and 9. That is not that dissimilar from Jessica Pagula. And yes, the Coco Goff forehand against elite pace, elite weapons, that ability, especially a Garcia Classic serve, a Sabalenka serve. To, no, I'm throwing out the World Tour Finals because that's three matches that you're reading far too much into. Last event of the year, first time she plays, they're a whole different story. Everyone's first World Tour Finals goes poorly. Google um, poorly too. You look for how she started. Really? In, exactly. You look for yeah. how she started I'll in Auckland, though, to beat everyone in straight sets and once again demonstrate that if you don't have that elite weapon, she is going to be better than you at everything else. I think the first serve continues to make progress. She is a damn good volleyer as well. I just think she is going to beat everyone she is supposed to beat. And again, this is where doing this podcast is tough before the draw comes out. But like if she doesn't get you know, uh, you know, a Kvitova in her draw, a Rabakina in her draw, Samson- maybe even an inform Ostapenko in her draw. Sure, Samsonova as well. Great example. If it's not one of those power players, I don't see her losing to Kasakina again. I don't see her losing to, you yeah. know, again, uh, to a Conteve or to even a Sakari. Like, I think Goff can beat those players now, especially with the fact that I think her first serve is maybe the biggest weapon walking on the court at this point. And so... Again, it's the fact that she Biggest also – everyone – last thing, and then I swear I'm going to let you respond. Everyone's talking about she doesn't win a title last year. First week of the season, yes, the draw breaks in her favor, but she played a really good match against Kennan, and then she yeah, crushes everyone else. Isn't that exactly what you wanted to see? She goes out and does it? Yeah. I mean, I'll give her – the Kennan win was very good. Um, I saw the Co- the Kovinich match. Kovinich played really well to be Kuzmova in the uh, round before. She was a total disaster in, in the match against Goff. And Goff played really well to her, her credit, but it was she was in totally in her comfort zone. Kovinich did nothing to trouble her. Um, but I will say that her served look, she was clutch. Um, the scoreline doesn't necessarily do the match justice, but uh, huh. she was clutch and her forehand looked good. Um, but her forehand looked pretty good at the U.S. Open last year until it didn't um, against Garcia. So, yeah. 
And I thought, I mean, I, you make some great points <laughs> at the end of the day. I don't trust her forehand in big matches. I think I don't trust her serve. And if she has to play Sviatek, it's over before the match started because there's zero percent chance she's winning it. You're wrong. It's fine, but you're wrong. Okay, one um, percent chance. Yeah, you're zero for one on golf takes so far this year because she wins and that look, title right like, away. Let's just talk. I mean, Tatiana Maria well, is a good player on grass. I don't rate her highly off. No, of grass. here's the thing. Kennan played well. Right, like Kennan is the real match. Where Kennan had weapons, especially indoors, to make Goff's life uncomfortable. And Goff's ability to extend rallies gets more impressive with every match that she plays. If you leave a ball short, she's going to attack, particularly on that backhand. She'll change directions, go up the line, follow it in. I also just think she has gotten better at that loopy, defensive, highly elevated over the net, down the line forehand. That just, sets, that just sets things back to neutral. Yeah, this week she was excellent at it. And you're right. Players with bigger weapons will still make her life uncomfortable. We need to see it to believe it. But 27-2 and two against players ranked outside the top 50, David. Like, half the battle is getting through the first week. And over the past year, Coco Goff has proven that she beats the players she should. Because you need an elite weapon at this point to beat her. And that's why she's number five on my list. Even fair. though Very even fair. though I don't like all the hype that Team 8 gives her. But I think that's the thing with that. But yeah, anyways, that's um, a, that's story the story for the time. Here's the difference. The Kennedy match, you're right. She played well. But she also – and she did. She was clutch. She saved six or seven break points. If she doesn't – you know, she had – she still generated the same – Kennan still generated the same number of break points as Goff did, you know, vice versa. But – Goff just was more clutch converting the break points. If the break points turned out differently, then perhaps, you know, she saved 1540 to go up 2 1 in the first set. And when she got the break to go up 4 1 in the first set. If either of those games go differently, maybe it's a different story. Um, in the second set, uh, she didn't face a break point. So. I'll give her that. Um, Goff, one of nine players to rank top 25 in hold and break percentage. But, Again, she wasn't in, in either category, but she was one of the nine last year. She's also sixth, according to odds makers, plus 1,400 to win the event. Pagula third at plus 1,100. Can, can I just say this, though? Of course. Come on. Rebecca Masarova in a WTA final. I don't think – I think – Yeah, but, come, but Goff killed her. I've no, I've seen enough of Master Over to take no to take nothing out of that. Yeah, result. but Goff killed her. Like okay, yeah, but because of he, course anybody and you know Pagula would have killed her. Stevens uh, didn't in round number one. Yeah, but that's Sloan Stevens. She's uh she's hot and cold. You never know. She lost. Who did she lose to last year? Baron Takoba. <laughs> All right, Katy Perry, with your hot and your cold. Um, we'll worry uh, about yeah. Cold. Okay. I'm going to save some of this for my American-centric okay. podcast because I don't want to give the entire shop away here. I want rapid-fire takes from you to finish off the okay. Americans, though. Madison Keys, 5-0 and in the first week during her United Cup play matches. Straight set wins over Buzkova, Nehemiah, Lynette, Bronzetti, three sets over Katie Swan. Again, you look at what Madison Keys was able to do last year in Australia. Semifinals of the Open beats Krachikova, Bedosa, Kennan uh, before that knocked out by Barty. She also wins Adelaide in the run-up to that. Two straight years of significant Australia success for Madison Keys. She's obviously made a slam final in her career. She always feels like if she can get to the second week, she's in the mix. That serve is one of those non-negotiables in 30 seconds or less, yes or no, on Madison Keys. And by the way, you don't actually need to take 30 seconds, but are you believing or no? 
I believe that she can reach the fourth round. I do not believe she can win. Danielle Collins, finalist last year. I don't know. You know I love Danielle Collins. Uh, you know she's one of my – I never thought I would say this when she first came on tour, um, but she is one of my favorite players. She beat Pliskova uh, to start off Adelaide 2. And she's moved the ball so well in that match. She's currently ahead on Teichman, who can be tricky with her tricky lefty game. And she did, you know, she had a tough first round last week when she, she yes, she lost, but in the first, in her first match, but it was to Elena Rabakina, who I know it's exhibitions, but she did beat uh, Sviatek in uh, the exhibition uh, in December. Not that that matters, but I'm just, I'm just saying she's in form somewhat and she has big weapons and she can take the racket out of uh, Collins's hands. I like Collins. She can beat anyone on her given day. Do I see her winning the title? Do I see her even? I can't predict her to even come close to last week, last year's success. I just haven't seen enough from her. Maybe after you talked a lot about, um, and I know I'm going on a little long, uh, but you talked a lot about how you want to see more this week from Caroline Garcia. I want to see more this week from Danielle Collins. Very fair. Uh, I thought her three-set loss to Rabakina was not bad. You know, again, Rabakina's power ultimately won out, but... That's a second-week match, not a first-week match in Australia. She's made the final before. When she's healthy, she has been that sort of player over the course of the past two years, really. Uh, and she just believes in herself. So I think that's a good take. It just I need to see more this week. Uh, and then Anisimova, I think, is just a clear-cut need to see more this week. But hey, 5-3 and three over Samsonova is a good place to start, certainly, uh, considering I don't think she played a bad match against Teichman in the final round of qualifying. No, but she still lost 6-1 in the third. It's true, which is why, again, I need to see more this week. If she can get, like, three wins, a semifinal run this week, but then the weekend to rest up, isn't that, like, the perfect recipe for Anisimova? Uh, yes, because I don't trust her physically. All right, so I, I don't want her to play too much this no, week. No, fair. All right, she had well, a lot my... of She beat Osaka last year. Yeah. Uh, and and Benchich. Two really good matches. Do we know what's the deal with Osaka, or are we just assume she's, she's out? She's not playing. She's not playing. Retired, basically, okay. Yeah, but so all right. Last name on my list for you, David Gertler, and okay. I appreciate you taking the time as always to join this is us. Fun. I, I, this is like Stephen A. and Skip. It feels like so. I have fun with this. This is good. Good. Well, then my last name for you is Petra Kvitova, and it's a little bit of a weak one over the No, Alex. No. Okay. No, no, no. Can I make the case? Uh, you can make the case, but I, I already know what my counter is, and I'm gonna. It's gonna trump any case you make. Okay. Did you see Kvitova's matches not only over Pagula and match number one of United Cup, but and over Sigamund in match two, but three and five over Rabakina in round number one. She got a win today over Junction One, who I think retired after a seven-six first set. Um, I mean, she has those Serena Williams Power Tennis. I mean, she has a residence in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. You win majors as she has. And again, the overwhelming lefty power that she's capable of playing. Here's the crazy thing. You look at her record over the last 52 weeks, 30 and 18 overall. Where do you think she ranks as a server, you know, by hold percentage on Tennis Abstract's leaderboard over the course of the last 52 weeks? Top 10, I would guess. She ranks 10th, which like it doesn't feel like she's been playing her best. And yet that serve just keeps her in every match. And the big takeaway for me, and again, it's a week one and a half overreaction. She looks healthy. She looks fit. She's holding serve, setting up the first forehand confidently, which allows her to just take big cuts on the return. She's connecting on the backhand return really well right now. 
She's a former Australian Open finalist. And by the way, that final wasn't that long ago. She made the Australian Open final back in 2019. And She's again, declined physically since the match, though. Which is why the health from this first two weeks. I said it's a little bit of a week one overreaction. But with the transcendent tennis she's capable of playing, a power tennis she's capable of playing, that ability to set up the first forehand, set up the ability to take big cuts on the return of serve and just play at her pace, play on her terms – it, again, it's a week one overreaction, but a heavy, le- you know, lefty power playing on there. It's just it's one of those non-negotiables where we know how good Kvitova can be at her best. And I, I like again, Kvitova reached the finals of Cincinnati last year, reached the round of 16 at the U.S. Open as well. Like she progressively got better as she got healthier throughout the course of last season. And I think she's at her healthiest and her best to start this year. Yeah, here's the here's the counter. She's horrible in heat, and all it takes is one bit, one heat wave, and she's done. Especially well, in her current state, in her so, current physical state. So I'm going to challenge that. You look for her in her career at the Australian Open. Quarterfinals, 2011. Semifinals, 2012. Didn't make another round of 16 till 2019 on her way to the finals. So seven years. Okay. Yeah, okay. Quarterfinals. So finals, 2019. Quarterfinals, 2020. Lost first round last year, round of 64 in 2021, both coincidentally to Serana Kirstea. It's a mixed bag. You're not wrong, David Gertler. But what if, again, we've seen what the positive swings can be. And, you know, it's interesting. You look for her in 2020 in the buildup to that Australian Open. She reached a semifinal in Brisbane. You go back to 2019 in the buildup to the Australian Open. She won a title in Sydney. You go back to 2011. She reached a final and won a title in Brisbane. 2012, she uh, reached a semifinal in Sydney. When she has good form coming into the Australian Open, she has had success. And shout out to the stats for backing me up on that improv right there, David Gertler. But (laughs) what that tells me is she's in good form right now. And when she's in good form, she's succeeded in Australia. She's a top five contender for me. That's a big if, though. She's a contender if she's in, you know, if she brings that form. And for me, if there's no heat wave, and it also depends on her draw. I think that if she plays a grinder in the heat, I don't think she stands. A chance, although I was impressed with her win over Pagula. I will give I was not expecting that. And Pagula, you know, put a lot of balls in play. So I I guess for me, I just she, you know, there's a reason and I know that, you know, maybe that there won't be the humidity in Melbourne in that there is like in New York City when, you know, as she struggled at the US Open, but the pure heat, all it takes is one heat wave. And I just and I also just don't think she's as good physically as she was in 2019. Um, I just think that that was a different version of of uh, Kvitova. Although I will give you this, she was extremely close to winning that title. She was right there with Osaka that year. Kvitova tied for 21st according to DraftKings odds. She's 40 to one to win so the event. Or, that's no, it's too high. But yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. Like that's yeah. too much. Um, yeah, and it's interesting looking at these odds as we get into the honorable mentions. Who are the players we've missed here or haven't discussed? Neither of us have Jabur on our list. I think both of us are concerned about the health we saw uh, well, during week yes, one as well. She's not. She's never going to have a better chance to win a slam in her career than against Rybakina at um, 
the Wimbledon. She came up, she choked when she was in clear command. Um, and she'll never, you know, Sviatek, Sviatek was not playing very that well in the U.S. Open, and she choked that one too. I don't trust her mentally. I don't think she'll ever get it done mentally. It, I wouldn't it, be that so. extreme, but I understand why you need to see it to believe it. She's fifth plus 1,300 odds. Rabakina's 20 to 1. She's an honorable mention to me. Sakari 20 to 1. I guess she sort of has to be on there. Uh, Samsonova, Krachikova, uh, 20 to 1. She is a um, wait and see this week sort of player. If she is a good Adelaide 2, she could catapult up my dark horse list up to my number 5 spot and replace Garcia. Um, you know, and then again, Andrescu, Collins is 28 to 1. Bedosa looked good yesterday. She's 28 to 1. Chin Wen, 28 to 1. Benchich is interesting, 35 to 1. The last interesting odds I want to throw at you, David. Vika and Van, well, Van Drusseva is fun for me. We'll get into that dark horse wise, but Vika at 50 to 1. Vika looks great through her yeah. first two weeks of play. She looks fit. She looks confident. Vika, again, one of two players who has won this event before. When she was healthy, she played at an elite level last year. She just was not healthy that consistently. Again, those names there, Jabur, Bencic, Vika, Krachikova, Rabakina, those are probably at the top of my honorable mentions. Any names you want to throw out there? Any comments you want? You know, final thoughts belong to you, my friend. No, I mean, Vika has proven me wrong because I thought that she was um, in big trouble uh, last year. I thought she was one of the ones that was, uh, you know, declining physically and she's come out of the gates red hot. Now, whether she can stay red hot, um, remains to be seen. Uh, Paula Bedosa, did you mention her? Um, I think that, you know, she had a nice win in United Cup over, uh, an inspired Harriet Dart. She easily beat, uh, Conobates to start Adelaide too. I don't think she'll win the title, but there was a time around Indian Wells last year where she was right up there alongside, uh, I guess that was before, you know, that was really around the time Sviatek made her big push, but she was talked in the same, uh, in the same breath as, you know, kind of Aiden Sviatek back around that Indian Wells, Miami time, uh, Doha, Dubai, that type of that, that area of the season. And, um, she's, she played well, she served very well against Contabate from, uh, a 77% first serve, 72% second serves, and was only broken once. So she can serve like that. Um, you know, she'll be a contender as well. Bedosa played great against Contefei. Contefei played great against both uh, Bedosa and Chin Wen. Like, Contefei's 0-2, but it's not a bad 0-2. I actually really liked her level. That's more of a dark horse conversation, but you mentioned a lot of interesting names there. And again, word on the street, David Gerlers, you're going to be in the content game throughout this Australian Open. Tell our listeners what you've got coming up, please, before I let you go. Yes, on the uh, t- the tennis Twitter streets. Um, huh. I would, yeah, so I'm going to be doing outrights for the uh, Australian Open women's. Um, so I'm, you know, last year I did the, you know, Action Network women's, mainly women's tennis stuff. And so I'll be continuing that, um, hoping to... Uh, replicate the Australian Open last year form for me as opposed to the U.S. Open form uh, in terms of my uh, selections for the uh, I'll be writing throughout the tournament, giving my thoughts on the women's uh, different women's matchups. Um, 
and I'm excited for it. I, I'm really excited to get a, get get my hands on the draw. Um, that that'll be fun and uh, make my projections that will blow up in a couple days after I make them. But that's okay. That's part of the fun of it. And uh, yeah, no, maybe I'll sneak an article and a more non betting related article or two in there. I'm happy to you know do whatever Rackets wants me to do. Um, I did see y'all got an intern now, which is cool. Uh, I would have loved for that to be while I was in college to have a crack rackets internship. Uh, so I think that's awesome. Uh, and I saw that she was doing some writing for y'all. So I'm excited to see what y'all bring, you know, crack rackets too. Yeah. We are excited for this major. Wait, we never, sorry. We never talked about what, are you excited or kind of going to roll your eyes about Breakpoint, the, uh, Netflix? Well, if you want to hear all my thoughts, that's a great plug to end the show, David. And by the way, we're hoping to have you on a couple of times during the Australian Open. I'm looking forward to reading all of your stuff. Of course, during this Open, I will also be doing a show with Gil Gross where we break down every episode of Breakpoint, the new Netflix series, episode zero, where we talk about the show we're going to be doing, offer our preliminary thoughts on all of those things is actually going to be available on Wednesday, January 11th, which is tomorrow for us, David. So we've actually got a full show dedicated to the new Netflix docuseries. If you want to check it out, myself, Gil Gross, available on the Inside Out podcast feed. But yeah, it's busy times in the tennis world. Again, we get rocking and rolling right away. Second straight weeks, five tour-level events, if you include Australian Open qualifying, to monitor. It means it's busy times for us here, obviously, from a content standpoint. Who always has us covered? Our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who's editing three different shows this week, preparing for all of our college tennis broadcasts, and who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. Thank you so much. I really yes, do. with all of that said, David Gertler, final thoughts before I wrap today's show? Did you get all the names in you need to get in? Yeah, I'm just looking over the sky. I've, I've tried to avoid the scores while we were recording this. I see that uh, Rietti is uh, in a third set against Zepieri. I really have high hopes for Rietti this year, and I'm um, I would be disappointed if he lost that. I want to all, that's just an aside. I want to thank you, Alex. I want to thank Daniel. I want to thank everyone at Crack Rackets for producing this. I really am so grateful. Um, and I think that, you know, I think it's amazing, you know, that y'all are, you know, I, I know the time that y'all put in behind the scenes. And I really do appreciate that y'all spend time producing all the, be in probably editing out all the bullshit I'm saying. Um, and so thanks so much. Now, David, we appreciate you and all you do, obviously, taking time out of you. Again, it's your spare time to come join us. And so, uh, yeah, we are always happy to have you. With that said, I ask you to look at your paper, as I say one last time, for the fantastic David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, as always, David. Thanks so much.